This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Empire. They succeeded in webs one and two, and now comes the latest. I think the short answer is human beings who are super talented, paying very close attention to what's going on in all these places and trying to really decode and read the tea leaves and um, figure out how we can leverage the insights to create better products. That's Nick Maridis, Executive Vice President at VaynerMedia, where listening to the fans is guiding branding decisions. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Gary Vaynerchuk is one of the early success stories of leveraging social media and video to grow what was a family wine operation into what is now a global advertising, marketing, and representation entity. So this conversation with one of his top executives was broad, considering the depth and breadth of their interests and what the future of Web3 means to sports and society. Our guest this week is Nick Maridas, who's the executive vice president at Vayner Media. We're going to have a nice, long, broad conversation about sports tech branding and advertising in a modern space. Hi, Nick. How are you? What's going on, Brand? And uh, hello to everyone out there. All right. Glad to be here today. Um, let me just start by saying that I have been a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk's work for a very long time. He's been clearly way, way, way ahead of the curve on literally everything. Um, so could you just kind of give me a sense of Vayner Media and what your goals are as a company? So um, Vayner Media, New York based, but now um, global as well. And London, Singapore, recently opened Latin America. We are, you know, um, one of the largest and fastest growing independent ad agencies on the planet, built by Gary Vaynerchuk, started about 13 years ago. Um, you know, we like to say, we are built for relevance and speed, yeah. and uh, we crash culture. We help brands, you know, transform their businesses, um, and are you know wildly consumer centric and contemporary relative to most of the other things in our space. And so, um, you know, being on the forefront of things like all things Web three NFT, just like we were in Web two with social media, kind of core to who we are. It's like a uh, a business that's built all around. The audience won't be able to see it, but holding up my cell phone and um, all things having to do with uh, social media. So many of the things that you hear Gary talking about in his content are, are concepts and principles that we apply in, in our company for Fortune 1000 brands uh, the world over. Um, when you say wildly consumer centric, what do you mean by that? Can you give me an example of that? I think I would, we're obsessed with uh, a few things. One is what do human beings, consumers all of us actually pay the most attention to. And I think when Gary started the company, he saw what was going on was one of the biggest shifts in attention ever in human history onto the mobile device. 
which, you know, from a tech standpoint, was really one of the first one-to-one technologies that literally 9 billion of us will have these devices in our hand over time. And so as that shift in attention happened, it led to all types of uh, new outlets, different from kind of the old guard media, similar to the podcast we're doing right now, and um, new ways to speak and engage with consumer. And I think that in the ad agency space, you know, where I came from was part of a, a bigger kind of more traditional shop five years ago. It was very much like a, a, a top down, let me tell you my message, yeah. you know, by broadcasting that versus bottoms up. How can we listen to what the consumer actually is interested in? What is relevant to that person? And then how can we design creative and media, you know, which is what we do at scale in our company, to hopefully address you know, your audience, other audiences with things that they actually want to pay attention to. And I think for everybody listening out there, probably like you and I, is that like that skip button on advertising is like the best thing ever. We always <laughs> fucking hit it. Yeah. And I think what we're obsessed with is like when you say consumer centric is how do we get somebody to want to engage with something to not see it as a shitty interruption that's costing them time, yeah. but something that hopefully adds some value, whether that's a sweater that they've always wanted, that they've been scrolling on and they see on Instagram, or, you know, we have 110 million people's attention on the Super Bowl and the biggest stage and we give them something that makes them laugh or smile or cry or think um, and does, you know, great for our brand, but also with empathy for that consumer and the attention that they're hopefully giving us. Uh, all right. Two things. My career started in AM sports radio, so you can't call podcasts old yet. I'm just not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> not prepared for that. And then secondarily, um, on the bottom up mentality where you're listening to the consumer, um, there's a tremendous amount of noise on all of these platforms. How do you know what's cutting through? How do you know when you're hearing something that that's what a large group of people want and it's just not things that are being said on the internet? I think that there's a few ways. There's obviously, um, you know, fancy technologies and things that you can have for social listening. But I think what we've found the past few years, especially as the proliferation of new platforms, you know, from Instagram to TikTok and beyond, is that um, there really is no substitute for human beings creating creative, putting them, putting those creatives into the platform having people engage with them, reading all of the comments, obsessing about what's behind someone who would comment. I was just looking before I came on on a planter's peanut tweet about the optimal trail mix. And within, it was a poll within Twitter, within two hours of this poll, and everybody can go on and check it out on Twitter, thousands of people sounding off on how much they hate raisins and trail mix. So today we're thinking, fuck, do we need to optimize the actual mix of the nuts in a trail mix based off of you know what has become kind of like the world's best um, machine for collecting actual consumer insights because we all share so much in these places now. So I think the short answer is human beings who are super talented, paying very close attention to what's going on in all these places and trying to really decode and read the tea leaves and um, figure out how we can leverage the insights to create better products, create better advertising. So um, th- that really is no secret sauce, but you got to get obsessed with getting closer to the consumer. But these platforms allow you to in a way that's never happened before. Okay, let's take some big topics. Um, yeah. NFT, give, give me yeah. a sense of just kind of how you view that. And I know that that's a very broad thing to discuss, but how are you all viewing that in relation to, for our audience, sports, sports branding and sports technology? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for anybody who's heard Gary talk on this and the moment that we're in right now, which is kind of like this crypto winter in culture, I think most people are aware of this uh, by, by this time. I would say that, you know, number one, 
is this first phase of awareness and people getting into the NFT market, I think will be very similar to the early web 1.0 moments of the late 90s, where it was kind of the gold rush of the internet, you know, the pets.com, the insane valuations, and then a big crash and pullback. I think we're living through that moment right now. And I think Gary called that probably a, literally a year ago now when he started seeing some of the dynamics playing out in the market where everyone was just launching a project and everyone was going, quote unquote, to the moon. And so I think the culture around it definitely has shifted these past um, few weeks and months now. But I think the underlying technology, the use case, the potential applications are as obvious to us as Web 1.0 and Web 2.0 were. And I think this is going to bring you know um, forward a, a whole new way, especially on the sports side, to think about everything from ticketing to loyalty to you know defining fandom through the blockchain and NFTs. So it's really cool. I had a, a real taste of this where I finally was like, oh shit, this is this is really real. When Gary did his conference in Minneapolis um, called VCon. You can check it out online at Cisco at VCon or, or vfriends.com. Uh, and it was the first ticketed event that was ever um, done through NFTs. And once you had that ticket in your wallet and you went through the security and, you know, at the Viking Stadium and you saw the seamlessness of A, the technology and B, the fact that that ticket now can live on forever on the blockchain and what that ticket can do can change a hundred times a Sunday. It's infinitely variable versus a one and done experience just opens, you know, the door for so many creative applications of something as simple as a ticket to a sporting event, which, you know, I'm sure for like the past 500 years, no one's really thought very differently about that other than making sure it's legit and not fraud, which is also a big thing that NFTs and blockchain will help solve even more than it's already been solved. So I think, um, you know, we're starting to see some interesting applications, um, you know, NFTs for access into interesting experiences in the real world, I think is something the next six months, 12 months, you'll see a lot more coming out on. Um, I think that, you know, everyone from the NFL to the NBA to MLB is going to be considering like in perpetuity, how do we think about NFTs, um, the tokenization of memorabilia, collectibles, you've already started to see that, but definitely like more, um, use cases around digital and physical experiences is something we're pretty excited about right now. So I, I think we're still in that early moment, though, to the original question of the most creative people in the world are, are, are getting into this space more and more each day. And we're seeing from like the simple, you know, um, JPEG with an ape on it to things that are much more scaled and interesting from a creative use of the technology. Okay. But still very early. So as you're listening to fans from the bottom up, what do they want these things to do? Does it have to have a utility attached? Do they want to collect them? What, what is it for them? I, th I think so far you've seen both, but I think it's important. And what's always so hard about this, and I'm not sure you know, how you live through web one and then web two, but in the early stages of, you know, social media, you know, you had things like the average consumer being like, why would I ever share a picture of my baby on a thing called Facebook? That's fucking nuts. Like, that's just not what we're going to do. As <laughs> I still species. think it's nuts, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, why did they post that I ate a pizza hut last night? Yeah. You know, like, wh why? Like, why, why, why? I think we're in that phase where there's, um, where there's definitely a lot of, I would say, the technology and the creative community leading. And the fan catching up to that and saying like, oh, I am open to this and I'll try this. 
And it's still so early in the adoption of the technology that I, that I think the, the average fan hasn't really wrapped their head around what's possible because innovation needs to happen first. But I would say that um, what I'm getting more and more excited about, and I think as a company, um, Vayner NFT, which is one of uh, the companies under the Vayner X umbrella, um, is, you know, seeing some remarkable things with um, brands with limited edition products, with the ability to um, offer experiences in stadium or with athletes. I mean, the one that um, just like tracks all the way back to Gary's project, Be Friends, that I am obsessed with and since day one have been obsessed with is he created a thing called a gift goat. And so this is an animation. This is a, a, a JPEG with an illustration of a goat on it known as the gift goat. And six times a year, he has to gift any of the holders of the gift goat, uh, whatever he wants, physical, digital gifts, could be an NFT, could be a pair of shoes, could be a Tesla, could be Super Bowl tickets. But um, for three years, he has to do that. And he can adjust along the fly the terms of exactly you know, how long it's going to go for. And it's the ultimate in kind of like surprise and light. And so I think there will be applications probably this year, maybe early next year on real like anyone who holds a, a season ticket holder, things like that. I think you're going to start to see more and more like the ownership done through NFT yeah. with all types of experiences attached to those things that what's cool about them is that they can be like infinitely variable. Um, and then what's super cool is you can sell that and make money off of it. And whoever actually issued it can collect the royalty every time it's sold. And I think that's a really big difference from anything that came before it where, you know, if you had a t-shirt, you know, that's sold on eBay, you know, from the Jets two years from now, they don't make any money on that. And I think that that alone, the royalty aspect and the ownership transfer makes NFTs just, just fascinating from a business standpoint for any organization or team. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guys, are you looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have fun? Let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets help men combat all forms of ED, 
Blue Chew is also an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, all done online. Blue Chew's tablets, made in the United States, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code FUTURE, F-U-T-R, to receive your first month free. Let me get your opinion on what leagues are doing well now in modern branding and advertising to their fan bases. Who stands out to you that's doing well? You know, I, I think everybody stepped their game up a bit. Um, I would say, like, the most obvious thing that played out in the market as Instagram became kind of the platform of the moment was, I think, the NBA's decision to just let it go with the players and let them be who they are on social media really defined the past five years, probably, in terms of um, turning the player and the drama of the league outside of, you know, um, scoring titles and, you know, who won and who lost last night into something that resembles something like so much more rich and off the court, everything from fashion um, to, to the sports they're playing. And so I, I think like um, the NBA towers above others, in my opinion. And um, obviously, I, I think the NFL has made huge strides as well. Um, I just think that the culture around the NFL is as strong as it's ever been. Obviously, they've got some issues they've had to work through. But I think like they also have adopted more of the NBA-style openness around you know players leading and players becoming the faces. And I think um, in, a, in an awesome way that, that's made their leagues more relevant than, say, some others who held back on that. As for the teams, I, I wonder what, what you think. Um, do you think they're equipped to do this? Do you get the sense that, that they are built and structurally organized to have this modern outreach? Because it feels like at times that the leagues are, but the member clubs aren't. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say yes and no. Obviously, certain teams do it better than others, but I would say that everyone that I speak to in these leagues, and I, and I work with you know some of the, the, the smaller sports as well, so I was a lacrosse player in college, have stayed close to that game, what Paul Rabel's done with the PLL, yeah. the professional cross league, same thing with the women's league with um, athletes unlimited, um, you know, which the new league, volleyball, um, lacrosse, softball. I just think that everyone has like the 101 execution down pretty well. I think all up though, what we've learned as a company the past 13 years is that the attention shifts and it shifts fast. Yeah, And so the thing that actually, you know, is interesting where I think some leagues may leapfrog now who may have been behind and some teams may as well is I don't think anybody in this country really saw TikTok coming. And I think the leagues and the players even have been slow because they just adopted the model, the 101, maybe the 201 for all things Instagram. And then this new beast came along. It was TikTok, which for two years running is the most downloaded app on the planet. And we could see it coming. Obviously, it, it, it was pretty massive and exponential in Asia, but then it hit here. And what's fascinating is it completely turns over the most followed teams and players. If you look between Instagram and TikTok, there literally could not be more dissimilar in huh. terms of who people are following. 
And so I think what all the leagues and all the teams need to think about is as attention shifts, how do we get there faster? You know, like the rock had the Instagram moment of all time. You know, one of the most followed him, Kim Kardashian, they're not in the top five. I don't think on TikTok. Huh. So, you know, like people like Kabe Lame, who maybe people in your audience may or may not be aware of, like tower over him um, in stature on TikTok, which speaks to a whole new generation of fans. And so I think the the ability to move quickly with, with speed and, and relevance into new places is probably what all the leagues really need to get focused on this next year, because the, the TikTokification of things isn't slowing down. Okay. It's only speeding up. Um, let me talk about some large platforms with you and just see how that kind of sits with you as well. Amazon is cool. going to start airing Thursday Night Football, so they are officially in. Um, Apple has picked up baseball games. They're going to be picking up a lot more rights as well. Um, as yep. you think about these major tech companies getting into the presentation of major sporting events, what comes to mind for you? I remember, I can't remember the year, but I remember the Super Bowl where Jeff Bezos was in Roger Goodell's box and they panned up. And this was like five, six years ago at least. And I remember having the thought at that time being like, oh shit, <laughs> like Amazon's going to take the NFL. And I started thinking to myself, given their ambitions as, you know, not just media companies, but like kind of the full stack of everything these companies do, is that it just makes so much sense. And in some ways, the dollars that they'd have to pay relative to the profits that they make are small, right? And so as part of their ultimate flywheel, sports and entertainment, and in particular, had something like 90 five of the top 100 linear broadcasts of last year, which is a crazy stat, something like that. Um, it, it's pretty wild just how popular um, it is relative to anything else on linear television at this point. I felt like, you know, they understand attention really well. They also understand that they need to attract that attention deeper into their ecosystem um, of services all the way down to, you know, buying soap on Amazon. And I think it creates for them like the perfect top of the funnel opportunity to execute all the way to the bottom uh. of the funnel. And so I think that they will do things that no company on the earth can even fathom now because they have so much money to play with, A. And B is I think they will be wildly innovative because of the tech companies that they are relative to maybe how old world media had done deals. And so I, I just think like short answer is it's just a matter of time, but, but those things all go over. I think you may have saw like the Apple MLS deal that just got struck last week, like a 10 year deal, yes. which is pretty significant. Yeah. And so I, I've just seen it now. And so I'm not speaking with too much audacity because the pattern's kind of getting there is it's just speeding up, yeah. right? It started with a little bit of NFL then it started with a lot more NFL. And now I just think like it's an adoption curve, but it's not to say that like, TV's done in the traditional sense of it, but I just believe that the the competition that will ensue is going to be like nothing we've ever seen because we've never had competitors like this. Okay. All right. So in that vein, all right. So I grew up working in traditional media, ESPN. I was in Bristol for seven yep. years. I've worked in, in radio. I'm a play-by-play -play voice. And there's a tremendous amount of restriction in how the brand wants it to be portrayed in these, you know, old traditional linear models. If, and I think you're right, that Amazon and Apple and others are looking at this differently. Um, how do you feel? I, I guess I'm not sure they have much of a choice if they're going to work with them, but I wonder how you feel about will the NFL, MLB, MLS be more flexible in how the brand is portrayed on these outlets as opposed to the previous ones where it was very transactional? We're buying your rights and we're selling advertising, but we want this presentation to be in the best interests of protecting the shield. You know, I, I, I think it'll probably um, 
be a little bit of a mix of both at first, but in the end, I think both parties there, or multiple parties, are smart enough and sharp enough to know that the single best consumer experience they can create in, is the key to relevance, which is the key to them making money. And so I think that one thing that tech companies may be able to do is, is to actually innovate in ways because of the fact that they have all the world's first party data. You know, Amazon's got my credit card, Apple's got my credit card. They are able to speak to me in such unique ways from a service standpoint. And so it's a little bit of what you've seen like Disney Plus do, and they're going to start to do it at an even grander scale of like, what is this entire ecosystem with all of this different IP? And how do I create bundled experiences? And I think the leagues will probably see the potential to create something exponentially bigger because of the fact that they have one-to-one relationships. And that's probably the most like underreported part of a lot of these, you know, conversations. Yeah. But that's really like the the amazing thing that these companies sit on, which is the ability to create something that is so custom tailored to me that I may pay a premium for. And I think the NFL in particular will probably figure out, because they're pretty good at understanding these dynamics too with fans, how to really take advantage of that. So it can be a win for, it's like the triple win. It'll be the win for the consumer, better experience, win for the league, more money, and great for the platforms themselves. And so I think like that win, win, win potential is there. But at the same time, to your point, there will probably be a five-year period of like, well, that's how we did it in linear, uh-huh. you know, until it wasn't. And somebody's going to have to blink and do something wildly innovative, and then everyone's going to play catch up. But I think that's what you've seen with a lot of traditional media is that like it's true until it's not, and then when it's not, it changes so fast. And so I anticipate there will be more of these types of moments in the next few years. But um, you know, I, I don't think it will just replicate the exact deal structure yeah. of what they had the past. 25, 30 years. Okay. All right. Last one and last big topic. Um, how yep. do you view advertising, branding, engagement through esports? Esports. I had a really interesting moment with um, some folks early on from one of the very big teams in esports, which was like, we're the Dallas Cowboys. And I was like, okay. You know, this was like six, <laughs> seven years ago. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. And they're like, you just don't know it yet. But there's a whole generation of like tens of millions of kids which see us the way that like you see Dak, like the way that you grew up with Emmett Smith. And I was like, fascinating, but bullshit. You know, like, let me see. Right. And then I attended some of the events and I was like, oh, shit, I see it. You know, like I, I actually see there's something going on here. And I think that um, things that are fascinating right now and are just huge opportunities that brands are starting to get more involved with is um, back to how I started with consumer centricity is esports athletes are some of the most influential people on the planet. And what's fascinating about them is that they stream in to our, you know, kids and now adults um, monitors for hours on end, which when you think about it, like the potential is just very different because of how captive that audience is to you know, potentially not just do shitty advertising with banner ads and all of the things that you could do in that environment, like the organic and authentic integration with the athletes themselves in the platforms like Twitch. I'm just seeing like to be really interesting and cool and do phenomenal things for their communities as well for brands. And so I think we're kind of in that phase right now where it's like the seamless integration of brands that are relatable to that person's audience and even to that esports athlete, absolutely 
crush it at the moment. And I just think that like it's still new and, and somewhat nascent for the Fortune 1000 of how to scale that. But like anything, I think as time goes on, people are starting to get way more interested in like, wow, like talk about influencers, that, that might be like tier one gold level yeah. all time um, ability to get people to do things. Um, so like that's what's going on there and I'm super excited about it. And then I'm sure that will go into the metaverse and all things gaming there and do like wild new executions of that as the metaverse comes you know, to life the next few years. Nick Maritas is the executive vice president with Vayner Media. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Brian. On the next Future Sport Podcast, could the armed forces soon be littered with former NCAA athletes? And as a result, the kinds of people that the Department of Defense, whether it's the intelligence community or whether it's the Army or the Navy, the kinds of people that they're looking for are very much reflected in collegiate student-athletes. Intrinsically motivated, physically ready, digitally savvy, coachable, as well as... That's Dave Maloney, founder of Orchestra Macro, who is pitching Congress on a reverse-engineered GI Bill. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.